Buongiorno, mi chiamo Sandrine. Hola, buenos dias, mi chiamo Crista. Welcome to Step Into Mondays, the show where we bridge the theory to the practice. We talk about the theory, what it's supposed to look like, and then we discuss how it would actually look like in a classroom, because otherwise, what do we do with that theory? That's right. <laughs> That's a tough one. So we've had a busy day today, haven't we? We absolutely have. We have covered some ground and I'm counting days until the end of the semester. I think everyone is. I mean, oh. Yeah, it'll be nice when we get to the end of this semester. I'm going to take a good old break because I, my mind is just gone. I know. And, and burnout, burnout is mm-hmm. real. Oh, you know, that was the funny thing last week when I actually came to Alabama and I told my son when I was going to visit him, I said, okay, I'm coming because you I haven't, we haven't seen you in a while. You're living by yourself. I know it gets lonely because you don't really go to class and, you know, it's zoom stuff and whatever. And I said, but I have to get some work done. And the only work I did is when I went to see you and we worked <laughs> on that article. And when I taught, that's it. Outside of that, we were outside doing some yard work. But man, it was nice. Man, it was nice. Absolutely. All right. So what is your small victory today? You know, it's really small, but it's okay. Um, I had completely forgotten. <laughs> that I would write, uh, I had told a colleague that I would write her a um, recommendation letter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no. So I finally sat down this morning, I got it written and um, sent off. I was like, sure, I can check that, that thing off of my list. So. And now you get another one for me. <laughs> I know, right? It never ends. Well, that's the last time that I'm asking for one this season at least this season there you go well right now uh, we'll see we'll see what comes out of all that but yeah what my small victory is actually from last week but that's okay um so you know I've been working on that OPI training and was Mm -hmm. doing um, interviews and had recordings and all of that and finally last week I submitted them Yay! Oh, that's off my plate. So now it's up to them to listen to it and get back to me. So I'm hoping they're happy with it, but they might ask me to redo some of them or redo some levels or whatnot, but I can't plan ahead right now. So no, I hear you. I hear you. But that's, that's, that's big. That's not small. That's big. Chickadoodle. Yeah, I mean, it's just been on my plate for so long. It's been like bringing a little bit and bringing a little bit and bringing all of that. So mm-hmm. it was just really the matter of doing the paperwork that went with it and then uploading it. Yeah, true. So that wasn't the big chunk of it. All right. So what are we talking about? 
Well, you know, today we have a very special guest. No. <laughs> so we know that the AP test is coming up for a lot of people. And you guys may not realize that one of the hosts of this show is an AP Raider. So we thought now might be the time to go ahead and talk about the AP. So I don't know as much about the AP. So I'm going to kind of be, you know, play the interviewer and Sandrine will be the interviewee so that we can talk about AP testing and the ratings and hopefully give you guys some good tips if you happen to teach AP because really from what I you know talking with so many people AP needs to start in Spanish one yes you need to start building towards all of that in Spanish one so even if you don't teach AP, this episode can still be very helpful um, for you so that you know what kinds of tasks you need to have, you know, from the very beginning, lower level, uh, level one class, you know, and building up, spiraling up to the AP level. So, so don't turn us off if you think, I don't teach AP, I don't need this, because you do. Yeah, we all do because I mean, again, backward design, right? Mm -hmm. What is the end goal? We tend to look at it from the standpoint of, okay, I'm teaching 101. What do I want them to know by the end of 101? But we need to look at what do I want my students to be able to do at the end of the program? Mm -hmm. And if there's more than one person teaching, then it's a departmental conversation. What do we want our students to be able to do? And so you are absolutely right when you say from day one, it needs to start. And even if you're teaching college and you're thinking, yeah, that's there's nothing for me there because AP is high school. I teach college. And by being a raider at the AP, and I, I even did the training to be able to teach AP classes because at the time I was at the high school. Mm -hmm. So I went and did the four day, four or five days, however many were days it was training for it. And it has changed how I teach in my college classroom mm -hmm. and how I grade things and how I look at it. So it's not just, oh, well, just for this level and the rest can be disregarded. Right, right. I, yeah, I totally get that. Well, let's get started then. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience with AP? Okay. So my first experience was a rate as a rater. And that was five, six years ago. I can't count that far anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but um, see, I had done the application for it. And in order to be a rater, you either need to be teaching an AP level class, or if you're college, you need to teach like higher level, like literature, or at least a 300 level and up, because that would be the equivalent for the highest score in the AP. Okay. So I started, and it's funny because French and Spanish and German, they kind of do their things differently, but it seems like in French, when you start with one task, that's the one task you have for the rest of your AP career. <laughs> fun, fun. I know, right? So I started with the email task, 
But when I actually ended up uh, shifting to the online one, because they, I don't know, they offered it to me and I was moving and it worked out really well. So then I was able to do the cultural comparison one, which that one is an oral. Okay. So that was, that was my experience with it as far as the rating side. And then, like I said, I did the training for it, which is four or five days. And I went to, was Athens, Georgia, University of Georgia, and um, spent those days over there. And we talked about all of the tasks and the ratings and all of that. But really, if you understand how it works with one of the tasks, then you can transfer to any of the others. Okay, well, that's good. Mm -hmm. yeah. So tell us a little bit then about the tasks. Okay, so the tasks, you have four of them. Two of them are written and two of them are oral. The two written one, um, one is an email response. So the students have an email that they're receiving and it has some, some guidelines surrounding it. And they have to write a response to that. Then there is a, an essay where they have to make a point. So it's asking them a question. So several years ago for the French one, it was asking them whether they think that senior citizens should still be allowed to drive. Hmm. And it gives them some sources. So they have one audio source and then they'll have two written one, which typically one is an infograph or some kind of numbers of graph or some kind, and then an article. And they can pull information from there, but it is their argument. They're the ones who decide they're just gonna pull from those sources in order to support their claims. And so typically in those, um, in those documents that they have, those sources, they will have one for and one against. So it helps them in order to support their claim. Then in the oral one, um, one of them is a cultural comparison. So it's gonna, they're going to give them um, then tell them, I don't know, um, you know, recycling has become very popular in Quebec. Um, how, what make a cultural comparison with where you live or with a francophone region. Um, so they're at that point, they can pick anywhere they want. So if they wanted to use New Orleans because it's considered francophone, they actually could. And they have two minutes to record on that topic, making cultural comparison on this and that. Um, so a couple of years ago was actually something about houses being um, different or the importance of where we live or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is a simulated conversation. So that one, they listen, they hear somebody talking to them and they have to react in certain ways that are provided to them. So if, they, if you look at the little transcript from it, it's not very helpful because it will say, respond in the negative and ask a question or act surprised and ask for more details mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. So they, they, they know the direction they have to take, but they don't necessarily, they don't know what's happening. They might get a little bit of an indication as to the topic, but it's very much a like, you know, they get blasted with that with somebody calling them saying, 
hey, I I just talked to my brother who's for who's I don't know in Morocco for two months and he's invited us to come to go visit him for a week. Are you are you game? And then you know at that point it would be where like you would be like oh well hi yeah that's super exciting well what are you thinking when are you thinking of going and that kind of thing and they have 20 or 30 seconds for that answer before it goes to the next prompt and that you have about six prompt five or six prompts um where it's giving that to them and then they they get to you know they, they get traded based on that so that's the four tasks Okay, so how, what can teachers do to prepare their students for these tasks then? So the best thing to do is to have them practice those tasks over and over and over and over and over again, because the more they do them, the more familiar with them they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it's not just doing the task. There is a method to it because in the rating, the first question that we ask when we're doing a rating, when we're rating a a product is, is the task complete? So you have to know. So if you're looking at the email and it gives them the instructions in the target language and in English, but it tells them like, I'm looking at the one for the email right now. And it's saying you will reply to an email message. You have 15 minutes to read the message and write your reply. Your reply should include a greeting and a closing and should respond to all the questions and requests in the message. And you should also ask for more details about something mentioned in the message. Mm-hmm. Should also use a formal form of address. That is super important because there are so many, when I was rating the email, there were so many excellent emails that we had, Mm -hmm. but they would not ask a question or a clarification or for detail. And if you don't have all of those elements, we cannot give a five. So we had answers that were absolutely excellent but something was missing from it or they skipped one of the answers or there was something missing and it hurt because we had to put a four. There was no choice. So that is the first and foremost students have to be very um, not comfortable, but very well aware of everything that needs to go in that. Right. Right. The next thing is when they're looking at the prompt, it's giving them important information, key information that might not appear anywhere else in anything else that they get. And so it breaks it down when they're working with it because... It, it breaks it down was like it, it reads them the, that what I just read. Uh-huh. I skipped some parts, but it reads that to them. And then it gives them two minutes to look over the prompt or however else. And a lot of times they just lollygag, they doodle or they just kind of do whatever. When really it's like, look at what it's telling you, because you might have an indication of the gender of who is writing the message. Mm. And there's 
and I know sometimes with the names, it's hard to decide, is this a man or is this a woman? But there is always an indication as to what they're dealing with. Um, with the title of the person, with the function, something that will indicate either a masculine or a feminine form. So that helps them decide who they're writing back to. Then they can look through it and that's where they can activate their background knowledge. Okay. So that's very important. So I would say before even practicing the actual tasks, Spend plenty of time going over those instructions for each one of the tasks. So until students know I'm doing an email, I know I have to look for every request or question that is asked of me. And now AP has worked very diligently trying to make them more obvious because sometimes you would have two questions in one sentence and students would miss it. So they're trying to make it more obvious with like bullet points or whatever, but you shouldn't have to rely on that. Um, And then thinking, okay, I will have to have a follow up on it. Um, Now, the quality of the question is not necessarily rated. It's more the quality of how well are you able to express yourself. Mm-hmm. So we've had things about exchange students. And so the students would be like, uh, can I bring my dog? <laughs> Which as we read it, we're like shaking our head going, no, you still cannot bring your dog. But, um, you know, you, you have to think about those type of things. So having them work on this. So work on the task. You're doing the email response. What are all the elements you're going to need? You're doing the essay. What are all the elements you're going to need? Where they're very familiar with that. Then giving them prompts and going, okay, activate your background knowledge. What all do you know on this? Mm-hmm. So if it's a conversation and you you know, because it, they, they have the theme, so it will tell you what theme it falls into. So if you're looking at it and go, okay, well, it looks like that's going to be, you know, something with camping or whatever, um, you know, or it is about leisure. What all do you know? What are some questions you could already come up with? What are some reactions you can have? Mm -hmm. And go ahead and write all of these down so you don't blank out. (laughs) Right. Because that's kind of the thing, right? You know it, but then you start going and you, you get lost in what you're doing in the moment of panic and whatever, and then it all goes out the window. Uh, if it's the cultural comparison, then have them give them the topic and then say, okay, now I want you bullet points. They need to learn to write with bullet points. There are so many, they use their two minutes and they write beautiful sentences and then they start. And so you get all of that. They're going super fast because they're reading it. And 30 seconds into it, they're flat out because it took them two minutes to write something, but it doesn't take that long to read it. Uh So I would say before going to all of it is having them get used to actually doing these techniques. Because if they can do it with anything, then they'll be able to do the task. Yeah. pretty easily so that's the first step and then you build up and have them do all of that and you know from what I understand and you can tell me um, about like the oral task Mm -hmm. because I know this happened even in the 
at the university level, it's kind of odd when you're doing like a computerized mm -hmm. thing because, you know, they ask you this question or give you this prompt or whatever, and then you're just talking to nobody, you know, yes. while it's recording you. And mm -hmm. so that is kind of probably one good thing if we're going to look at it that's come out of the pandemic. Students are probably more used to using Flipgrid and, you know, recording themselves and everything because that is one thing that I do think has helped our majors when they have to take the OPI computerized version is they have made so many presentational videos and different things like that that it doesn't seem all that weird to them anymore. Yeah, no, that is absolutely something very important. You're right, because in a real conversation, if you don't catch what the person tells you, you can ask them to repeat it. Mm -hmm. But here it's you get one chance and that's it. Right. And then they disconnect, they miss something, and then they're completely lost. Yeah. And it's really heartbreaking. The other thing, too, I think it's important would be for um, students to be familiar with the, with the rating uh, scale. Yeah. And to self-rate as well. Yes, I think that is a great thing. I, I need to add more of that into my classes. I was actually thinking about that, mm -hmm. um, you know, just even last night when we were talking about it in my methods class, um, you know, looking at their very first presentational video to the one they did at the end of the semester, having them go back and look at those and charting their progress and, you know, where were you there to, you know, now. So, yeah, I think that that really helps that metacognitive awareness as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's where it's helped me in my classes where it has changed it because the, if you look at the rating grid is, it seems like there is a whole lot to it, but you really have three levels. The first one is the task complete. That's the first question. Is it fully complete? Is it mostly complete? Or is it somewhat complete? So, I mean, you have all five levels. So, you know, if fully for a five is that, the task is done, but then you have additional details. Right. But a three, it's going to be maybe, and then you've got all other levels, but maybe it's done, but that's it. It's just the bare minimum, right? And that's what you have, just a bare minimum. And then everything else has fallen into place. Now, that's your first element that's going to indicate, okay, where am I falling with this? Then you're looking at details. Then you're looking at was, what was the control in the grammar of the vocabulary? Um, was it comprehensible all the way through? Or were you actually having to do a lot of interpretation with that? You know, was the grammar, for the most part, spot on? Now, a five does not have to be perfect. A five is going to have some errors in it potentially right that's the thing because i i know when i came into into that i was hearing oh no in order for them to have a five you know basically it's just a native speaker that's the only one that could get a five <laughs> well first of all native speakers do make grammatical mistakes and spelling mistakes newsflash but <laughs> right 
Hello, but two, we've seen some very well written with some mistakes in there that got fives because they knew what they were doing and it was the same mistake repeated throughout. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't impede the comprehension of the piece. Right. So that was that was one that's one element that is important um, for for that kind of, of ratings. So in my classroom now, that's what I look at. First thing when I'm asking my students and I'm grading them, have they done what I asked them to do? Yeah. You know, to what level has it been done? So that's that's one thing that's that's pretty important with it. And then you're looking at it. So yeah, a five is going to have a little bit more transition. It's going to be well organized. There is also that, you know, it's not jumping around from one thing to the other. You can tell there is some organization, but it doesn't, we've had some fives that were very short. So it doesn't necessarily has to the be watered down. is not down. always the most important thing either then. No. No, it, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be watered down where they're answering fully uh, all of that. It is mostly have you answered the question. So if you're looking at the, if you're looking at the, um, at the email, did you answer all of the questions? Did you have a formal tone, right? So it would be, Dear Mrs. So-and-so, and, and one of the things that students tend to forget, typically those emails, it, it's, they're only seeing it for the first time, but what's omitted is that they would have contacted the person, the person is now getting back to them, and then they're responding back to that. So a lot of times they act like, Oh, well, thank you so much for contacting me out of nowhere to go study abroad at your school. No, no, no. You would have had an email, you know, contacting them going, hey, I'm interested in that. They're getting back to you going, yeah, we're doing this. You know, thanks for contacting us. We're doing this. Now, before we can answer more of your questions, you know, we need to know when are you planning on coming, you know, and whatever else questions. So the response is going to be, well, thanks. Thank you for getting back to me. Um, you know, appreciate that. Thank you for the information, you know, to now to answer your questions and then answer those questions and go, however, I'm wondering about, you know, this, that, and the other, look forward to hearing back from you. Thank you so much. Um, and then they don't even have to sign. And a lot of, and I don't know if the teachers encourage it or the students do it on their own, a lot of them like to use um, celebrity names and cutesy names and whatever. That's not cute. Oh. When you're rating <laughs> thousands of them and you see Jeanne d'Arc, uh, after the fifth one, you start going, okay, yeah, you're not creative. And it gets, after a while, I mean, we, we don't even look at it. Because <laughs> it's part of it. So it's like, that's wasted time. Um, Something else that I've seen a lot is students try to put in some colloquial expressions in there. Uh-huh. And don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They're never used right. 
And one year in particular, we had so many. And, and when you're rating, you have a table with several people. So you have at least six people at that table and we all have space and we're all reading our thing. But sometimes we'll share with other raters if we're like a beautiful sentence and we'll be like, oh, listen to that and we'll read it to the other person. Or sometimes it's like, I don't know what to make of this. What would you do with it? But then you have those kind of thing. In that particular year, we had so many colloquial expressions that were badly used that, oh my God, we, we laughed so hard. I think our stomachs were hurting because of how they were so out of the blue and not in there. And it wasn't laughing at the students. It was just laughing at the expression because they were funny expressions, but they were just so not where they needed to be. So while we appreciate them trying, to the contrary, it takes away from them because it shows they didn't get it. They don't get that cultural aspect of it. So they're better off leaving those off. Because, <laughs> mm -hmm. oh my, we have seen so many. And yeah, that's kind of gets heart wrenching a little bit. And you're like, okay, teachers, we appreciate you trying to throw in those expressions. That's good. That's it's for the fun of it. You know, it helps. But, you know, if I'm answering an email about going to study abroad and I'm like, yeah, not to pull the rug under your feet, but I had questions about your program. <laughs> Get that. You're going to be like, what? What, what? what would that have anything to do with it, right? Yeah. Oh, bless them. Well, you know, and I think sometimes, though, the students probably don't even know some of the expressions in English or they don't know when to use them appropriately. You know, I mean, I've discovered that I'll say something and my daughter goes, what? Like, mm -hmm. You've never heard this expression before? And they're like, um, no. So then you have to explain it to them. So I don't know if maybe a lot of these expressions are falling out of our languages, you know, uh, out of English. And so maybe the kids, you know, don't even know when it's appropriate to use them in English, but I have noticed that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I use a lot of expressions, but I still, yeah, have some, I'll send them to my kids and they're like, no, I've never heard that. I'm sorry. Which is weird. And I know we use a lot in, especially in French. I know when I talk to my mom, we use a lot of them in our daily conversation. Typically there will be one or two that just slide in there. Mm -hmm but it doesn't mean that it is access or acceptable in um in any of the of the test right right Absolutely. so yeah so that's that's one thing so i think the best way to prepare it and then you're right so that's that's i would say those do going through the um, going through the um what you call it through the 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 tasks and then looking at the prompts and whatever as they're getting more advanced into that that's when you would want to go through all of that trouble so the pre-ap the ap class that's when you want to go through all of that otherwise when you're starting at your level one 
You just want, you know, they're going to have a conversation when they get up higher. So you just want to start including that in there. Mm -hmm. So you have them, but maybe you're telling them what you're answering, right? So right. you're doing a dialogue with your partner and you're going to, you're going to find out what your partner is doing later. So you say, hello, partner B responds, hello, partner A asks what, you know, how they're doing. Partner B answers and returns the question, right? So you're giving them more details into that. As they learn more language, that's where you're removing it from them. And then they're having to create more of the answers. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely. So that's the important. So do you think it would be important even for like level one and level two teachers to look at the scoring guides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it does because then you can start looking at it from that standpoint. Again, the end goal in mind, even, even if you're only teaching level one, level two, and somebody else is doing three and AP, mm -hmm. um, you're going to be the foundation. You're going to be the one who gives the good or bad habits. Right. So if you know what the end goal is, you can keep that in mind going, okay, well, you know, when they, they get to higher classes, they're going to be rated on whether the task is complete or not. Mm -hmm. So start grading based on that. They're going to have, you know, activities where this is asked of them. So you start giving it in a simpler version. So I do think it is helpful to, to know that, to consult the, the grading rubric, to look at what the themes are. Right. So you can also work on them, give some basic knowledge. And well, then, say, you know, my, even in my college level classes, the very first thing on my rubric is task completion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that first video you know, it says 45 seconds to a minute. And I had a kid turn in 15 seconds and it's like, nope, that's not really task completion. You didn't say, you know, cause you only had 15 seconds. There was no way that you could say everything that you were supposed to say. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. And so that's, that's why my students, the way I approach that is, you know, obviously our grading cannot be on a scale of five, although I've considered using AP or even Praxis um, scales to rate my students to give them a grade. And then depending where they fall, if it's a five, then it's a, a 95. It's, if it's a four, then it's an 85. Right, and right. Just have it this way because it's a little bit more straightforward. But then with my students right now, since it's graded either on 10 or on 100, depending, well, I'm asking you for a video that's one minute. You're giving me 30 seconds. That's half of the work. Guess what? You're getting graded on 50. Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. To, to give them that idea, because at the same time, the, what's the long-term goal for any of our students? They're going to have a job one day. Mm -hmm. And if the boss says, I want this, and you're just giving like, you're, you're a professor, you know, you've got to teach what, 14 weeks. Right. If after seven weeks you stop, well, your boss is not going to be too happy. Right. right. That's, 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. Or if you teach two classes out of three because, well, I didn't feel like it, boss is not going to be happy. So at the same time, it's already putting that mindset in their heads as well. I need to do the job and I need to do it fully. Do you have any other, you know, maybe examples or samples that you can share with us? So I can't, which I haven't kept any of them. At one point, we were allowed to keep some of the written samples that we had from training, but they don't allow us to do that anymore. And now being virtually, that's even harder to keep a hold of them. Mm-hmm. Um, their website, which I was trying to look at, they have completely changed it. So it's uh, very much different, but they do have where teachers can create a free account and they have documents to help them. And they have some samples. Um, they have samples for the last several years and they will show a sample for a five, a sample for a three, a sample for a four, you know, they they will have all one sample for each of them to show the difference. Um, And actually, I misspoke when I said about the tasks, because that's the open ended stuff, then they also have readings with multiple questions, multiple choice questions. But we don't deal with any of that because it's multiple choice. It's pretty straightforward. It gets done on its own thing. So that's just the open-ended. So for these four open-ended tasks, there are samples online about it. Mm-hmm. And then some of the textbooks do a pretty good job as far as looking at it. I know when I was in the high school, not a sponsor, don't have anything to do with it. They've been sold since then. So I don't know where they are, but that's why I got the EMC textbook because they had AP in mind. And from the beginning, from day one, some of the activities they had were mirroring the AP down the road. So those are also good. That can be a good um, start point to look at activities that you can practice with your students. But I would say go to the website get the samples, they have the rubrics available, get the rubrics, and then look at it, break it down with your students and go, okay, here, this one, they gave it a three. Why do you think they gave it a three? And then break it down. Well, was the task complete or was it not? Um, And let go of your biases of the answers. Because and that's one thing we have to check at the door. And but that's super important because I know and I did the alternate um, test for a while. And I think the one I'm thinking about is an alternate test. So I can't really say anything because it might come in at some point as the regular one. But um I don't know, one, one time we had something and it was dealing with a country in West Africa and all of the students were saying, oh yeah, I have families from West Africa or I have family in West Africa. I'm so interested. It's like, okay, I'm sorry, but 90% of you who just took that test do not have family or roots in North Africa. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right? <laughs> no, that's not so. So it would be very tempting for me as a writer to go, 
Yeah. And what you're telling me after that, it shows you just threw that in there because you thought it was going to sway me in one direction, but it's really making me want, make, making me want to flunk you. And, but that has no bearing on what the answer is. That doesn't have any bearing as to whether the task was complete or not. So that's a reaction. That's a bias that I have to let go of. Just like if it's the essay and I'm asking, you know, should senior citizens still allowed me to drive, you know, past 75? Okay, I have my own opinion as a teacher on the topic, but if the student doesn't go in the same direction, I cannot grade them based on that because I think they're too far off whatever side or that their argument is flimsy. Are they backing up the argument? Are they respecting the rules of the task? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something very important. And I know Benjamin, my son, with his English teacher, when he did the um, AP Lit, no, it wasn't the AP Lit, it was the other one, it was the Lang. Anytime that he wrote anything, the teacher didn't like his point of view. So she didn't look at what he was writing and how he was doing in terms of the scale. She was looking at that. So then she was giving him threes, you know, because she didn't like it when other people who were spot on on any other rating would have rated him much higher because they didn't have the bias. And I know when we're reading a bunch of them, one after the other, it's very easy to go, okay, I've read that same stupid sentence 20 times, right? It's like the whole me llamo es. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, if I see one more person, I'm going to flung them. Well, they're not more wrong than the first one who did it. And we were like, oh, really? And went on. So there is that element as well that we need to be aware of as we're going through, because the AP Raider is not going to be, we're going to look at it and we're reading it, but we're not overthinking it. We don't know who wrote it. We're just going to look at it. And it's like, is the task complete? Yes. Okay. That seems to be the refrain I'm hearing here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Anytime that you have a question, you're not completely sure. So we, we typically might ask, well, that's when we were in person. Now we're remote, so we can't do it anymore. But we would have asked the person at our table because the table leader might be tied up with somebody else or might be in a meeting or something. So we'd ask the person next to us to see like, well, are, are you agreeing with me or not? You know, do I need to go higher up? But then if you go to your table leader, the first question they're going to ask is the task complete? That's always the first question question so you're right when you say it's the it's the chorus because that is the question the first and foremost is it complete how well is it complete what else is there any anything else that we need to cover for ap mm, let's see well, it seems like recently i had a conversation with somebody who is ap and who is saying, you know, one, one thing, um, teachers feel the pressure because you have seven topics 
but they're extremely wide topics. Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, influences of beauty and art, or you have beauty and art. I think that's what aesthetic, that's the category. That's what it's called, aesthetic. Well, there's a whole lot of stuff that can go in aesthetic because you can go on ideals of beauty. You can go in performing arts. You can go in music, in literature, in architecture. You can go in the beauty of it, right? There is a whole lot of stuff in there. Um, and some of it is going to cross over. So it's very tempting to, to feel overwhelmed by, oh, everything that needs to be covered. But I think the best way to approach it is to just do one of the theme, pick one thing and get in there. And, but then give students plenty of opportunities to, to discover other elements and to go through a lot of prompts. So for the cultural comparisons, if you're touched on a lot of, that, of elements, the students are gonna be able to do it. Because if you ask them to compare houses, well, you know, maybe you have covered a place that's a francophone place and you've talked about it, then they're able to pull what they know. Um, and then they can always say, well, I live in uh, South Carolina and I'm just south of Charlotte and this is the way it happens in my region, but that doesn't mean that it's the same for all of the US. That's true because we can't make those general statements, just like, and that's something else I've seen a lot, is to be careful not to fall in the stereotypes. Because anytime we have had a prompt that dealt with especially African countries, Francophone African countries, mm -hmm. students are like, oh, they're so poor, we need to send them food and we need to send them drinks and they don't have drinking water. And it's like, well, I'm sure they would be quite offended by this as they should. So be careful to not show just the problematic areas, but also the very successful to give them a more rounded experience. Okay. Because I think that that falls in the lasting knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Where that's going to stick with them. And that's what they're going to take with them for the rest of their life, that African countries are poor. Yeah, you got you to gotta watch that, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, when we've had a topic on that, oh my gosh, we're like, yeah, they don't have houses, they don't have clothes, they're so poor, they're so this. And it's like, oh my gosh, no. Like there is richness. I mean, yeah, maybe some areas have that, but it's not everywhere. So let's not put it in there let's not have that savior complex <laughs> there's nothing more frustrating to me as a raider than to have that savior complex that comes through but teach them to teach them to be able to make some comparisons okay yeah and then you know they they could say well i don't know much about other areas but what i've seen is that you know, in Quebec, their houses are going to be much more, much better isolated than um, in the south of the U.S. where I'm living, because we don't have snow and they have snow regularly. Yeah, but you know, I think that's, that's actually a, 
you know, good advice really for all language teachers when in terms of the comparisons, because you do get that so often the stereotypes and then two, what you get are the differences. Yeah. And, you know, we know that research tells us that, I mean, that's human nature, but that if we focus more on the similarities students are going to have a more positive attitude towards that target culture and that target language. Mm -hmm. So we really need to make a conscious effort, um, no matter what level we're teaching, to focus on how we are alike rather than how we are different. Yeah. I think that's super important. It is. It is very important. So, yeah. And and I've, we've seen some, some very successful students with it who might not have much, but who just hit the task and do it in a very straightforward way. Okay. You know, that's it. But I would say the one last advice I would give to teachers. Well, actually there's two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One would be, Take a sample test and mm. take it yourself. Mm -hmm. Do it alongside your students. Because when I did the training, the one where, and I'm a native speaker of French, and I still get tripped, and it was the one about the conversation. Because I lost my place. I couldn't remember where I was. <laughs> because you're following along, and you just have... I don't even think you have numbers. So you have it where it's offsets, you know, what the person is going to say something, but basically it's like, she's going to announce something to you. Okay, great. And then you have to respond and then you have the rest of it. And it's very easy to lose your place. And that's what happened to me. I lost my place. So I wasn't sure how I was supposed to respond. All right, because... Maybe one thing it said, you respond in the negative, but then the next one was like, you are super, you're positive about it. Well, if I get confused and I do two negatives in a row, well, one of them is not correct. Right. So holistically, my task is not going to be fully completed because part of it I did not do correctly. Um, now, in the conversation, one good thing to know is the end of it where they're wrapping it up and they're saying goodbye. If they need to redirect something that they missed, they could do that. Mm -hmm. So they could be like, oh, but I realized, you know, you asked me this and I said yes, but actually I meant to say no. <laughs> <laughs> if you catch it, you can, you can redirect that. So that's one thing. The other advice I would have is if you are able to do it, go and be a raider, even if it's just one year. If you are teaching an AP class, go be a raider because you will get trained on how to look at samples, interpret them, and put them on a scale. And that will be invaluable for you when you go back to your classroom to your students. And beauty of it, that's training, but you get paid. Mm -hmm. So you make a few extra bucks. It's a week in June 
and then you've got that. All right, that sounds like a good plan. So yeah, I think that's about all I have to say on that topic, unless you have other questions. No, I mean, I think, I think we've kind of covered it all. We have, I think we have. All righty. Well, now is it time to move on to our aha moments? But at the same time, it's one of those I heard it. I was like, oh, my gosh, that is so absolutely right. But it's last week when we were interviewing Paul Sandrock. <laughs> and that's to come for you listeners. It will come later on, um, I think in about a month, give or take. But um, he said, you'll never grow out of novice if perfect is the goal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it took me a second and I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And I think I knew it, but it was worth hearing it again, just to remind myself. As long as we're asking for perfection, students are not going to take risks and are not going to move out of that safe zone of the novice, which is the memorized zone. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hear you. So, yeah, that was my little slap on the back of the head. Like, yo, remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So mine is not, I don't know that I would necessarily call it an aha moment. Well, maybe I would. So (laughs) I've been listening um, to Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. Mm -hmm. And I'm at this point where she was talking about the challenges of being a working mother. Yeah. Right. So she's a working mother and, you know, her husband is off in the state capitol for the majority of the week and kind of home on the weekends Mm -hmm. and how hard it was to you know balance everything and and I've always kind of felt the same way and so it was like wow somebody like that felt the same way that I did you Mm -hmm. know yeah it kind of made me feel better and And I absolutely, she added something that I had not thought about because I always, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom and, you know, everybody thinks their mom is the best. And so I was like, I just want to be just like my mom because my mom was, you know, that PTA, let me head up the classroom mom and, you know, go on all the field trips and, you know, just everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, I need to do that. But At the same time, you know, my dad's like, you're so smart. You can have a career. You can do anything. And so it's like, oh, I got to have this, you know, stellar career along with all of this being this perfect mother, you know, and just all this pressure. And, um, you know, Michelle, Michelle, because, you know, she's like my good friend, right? (laughs) She she was talking about um, how she had her mother. But then she also had Mary Tyler Moore, right, Mm in the 70s, this independent, career-focused woman. And so she's like, I have to be both of these people, and how do you fit it all together? And, you know, and I thought, that's it. You know, I guess that's probably, too, I remember Mary Tyler Moore, and I thought, well, yeah, 
I can do that. And then, you know, there were all of these commercials, mm-hmm. like there was this perfume commercial that was like, I can bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan, you know? And so it's basically saying women can just do everything, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kill ourselves sometimes to do it. I think it's better now and men are doing more you know, at home, but it was just, it was one of those revelations, I guess, wow, you know, Michelle Obama had the same struggle that I did, Mm -hmm. you know, and pretty much probably for the same reasons. I mean, we had all those competing views of what a woman was supposed to be. Yeah. You know, my revelation as far as that actually came when I was doing my dissertation because Kristeva has something on motherhood and had something about that. And according to her, the perfect mother is the one who gives space to her child to allow him or her to be his own person. Mm-hmm. And so not that myth of the superwoman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading it, I was like, man, I wish I had read that 10 years ago because I would have done some stuff differently. <laughs> right, I know. But you know, we do, society paints us out as we yeah. have to be super women. Yeah, well, they paint us as you You have this, you're right, you're exactly right. You have the stay-at-home mom mm-hmm. who had the picture-perfect home, the home-cooked meal who looked really good when the hubby came home, you know, there was not a thing out of place and all of that. But then we added the working woman. And so she has to be, yeah, Mary Tower Moore, that professional who's got it all together. But then both of these worlds have to collide and neither one of them can give anything away to the mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. And I think it's unique too, because I mean, let's, but men just don't have the same I don't know. I just don't feel like they have the same or they didn't. Maybe that more of them do now, but but they didn't have the same issue. They didn't have the same expectations. Well, you don't have the nurturing expectation like you have on women. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I look at my family, we never had a conversation where we sat down and said, OK, well, you take care of this and I take care of that. But it pretty much took fell into place, especially since early on, I was a stay-at-home mom, Mm -hmm. that I was the one dealing with the kids. I was the one dealing with, you know, school issues or whatever else might have been coming. Of course, I was wanting to be more involved. So that also kind of fell with that. But that was an unspoken thing. And I think it just kind of came, fell along those natural fall lines that we still have in our heads because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I never questioned it well yeah the that, time. exactly at the time you didn't and so now you know I look at it and you know we have a fairly good division of labor in our house you know now mm-hmm. um and my husband does a lot yeah know? same here same here you know, I mean, he absolutely does a lot um and so you know he I was thinking when he was, when Emma was little, I mean, he could do her hair and pigtails and braids and, mm-hmm. you know, because he had, he had to get her ready for school. Cause I had to be at work so early, right? you know? And so it just, um, yeah, but it was just such a nice, I don't know, like, wow, 
I'm not alone in this struggle. And I know I'm not alone. I mean, I know other people have struggled with this too, but you know, even for Michelle Obama to have struggled with that, it's like, wow. I know, cause that woman's got it together. I know, right? You think, okay, that's awesome. I know, and she was, she, it's in the book too, where she was talking about, um, about making dinner, right? We're having such a hard time keeping with balance meals and, uh-huh. and all and of fi- that. Yes, and finding time for yourself to mm-hmm. exercise and do all of that. It's like, preach it, sister. Yeah. And yeah, I really got to listen to a lot of it this weekend because we were in the car a lot. You know, I have all these audiobooks that are just waiting for me to go back to work because <laughs> I have an hour commute each way and I always listen to my audiobooks. And so it's taking me so much longer to get those audiobooks listened to now because mm-hmm. I'm not in my car all that much. But yeah, so. Um, anyway, so all of you teachers out there, take heart, you know, everyone struggles with the balance between work and home life. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. And we're all just going to do the best we can. Yeah. And, you know, going alongside with that, the other day, the other interview we had with Meredith, and where she talked about, um, you know, knowing to, to stop at contract time. Right. Because and I and I've been reflecting on that and thinking, you know, I think that's why it's so much harder to me, at least at college level, because we don't have a set contract time. Because our classes might be just about any time. Right. And then we have to do the publications and we have to do this. So it can take on other time. And so it ends up taking on our own personal time. And it's um it's a tough balance to to reach. All right. Well, if you have any questions, comments that you want to add about the, um, the AP Raider, if you yourself have been an AP Raider and you have something else you want to add, um, or if you have your own aha moment or anything, just reach out. And how do they get a hold of us, Krista? Well, they can email us at stepintomondays at gmail.com. They can hit us up on Twitter at intomondays. Um, we also have a Facebook page, Step Into Mondays. And if you don't want to type anything and you just want to talk, you can actually call us and you have to have our Google voice number because I can't remember it. <laughs> well, I know that it's, I know the beginning, but I don't know the last four digits, but it's 205 four four zero two eight eight nine so that is our google voice number and then anchor if you look us up on anchor if you find us there under the podcast there's also a link where you can leave us a message and that also is recorded absolutely so all right well make sure to reach out make sure if you listen on apple to leave us five stars and a review so other people can find us and share the knowledge with your colleagues we don't want to be a secret we want it all to be out there you want people to know where you get your greatness from <laughs> so on, on that note alunity Hasta lunes.
Thank you.